on this edition of the program. Were the debates last week a hit or a flop? We do a ratings deep dive that takes us all the way back to 1992. And with four indictments in the books and four trials now being set, is Donald Trump totally cooked in the general? We discuss. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Owe Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Everybody to the politics, politics, politics program for Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you from Austin, Texas. Boy, it's been so hot out here in Austin that a strange phrase crossed my lips yesterday. Thank God it's 97 degrees. (laughs) And I like heat. I'm a heat fan. I like humidity. I'm a weird swamp creature. But boy, the only thing better than the temperature being under 100 degrees is not having to hear my friend and heat phobe Andrew Heaton complaining about the fact that it's still 97 degrees. I will take my wins where I can. And as Labor Day approaches, we have a great episode here for you. Still a little bit of a quiet season in politics, but we have a little bit more to unpack when it comes to these debates and specifically The question of whether or not they were well-watched. Ratings out. Fox News announcing that they drew 12.8 million viewers during the first Republican presidential debate. The debate saw over 2.8 million viewers in the coveted 25 to 54 age bracket. That means that it's the highest rated non-sports cable telecast of the year. In total viewers, overtaking Paramount's Yellowstone, which had 8.2 million viewers, according to Fox News. That was nowhere near what Donald Trump first drew when he made his debut on the debate stage in Cleveland, Ohio, back in 2015. That debate drew 24 million viewers, which to this day stands as a gigantic eye popping number. It was the the best rated presidential primary ever, the highest rated non-sports cable program ever, and the highest rated primary debate of the 2012 contest, mind you, drew less than a third of that audience. So. This debate was bigger than a pre-Trump world, but certainly nowhere near where Trump drew eyeballs way back 
then. And obviously, there was a lot of tension for that one. Donald Trump came down the golden escalator, was talking in a manner for which presidential hopefuls very rarely talk. And there was a lot of question. What happens when you put a live mic in front of them? And as we found out, it was the Megyn Kelly question, which created its own gigantic hype cycle. You have to watch when Donald Trump is on live television, because tomorrow all that anybody will talk about is what Donald Trump said on live television. And there's no doubt that Donald Trump is a star draw. However, I do want to point out that television is not in the same place in 2023 that it was in 2015. According to a Pew Research poll, 76% of Americans reported subscribing to cable in 2015. In Q1 of 2023, that number is only 56% of all Americans. And that's the lowest viewership that it has been since 1992. So, since cable ratings wouldn't really be fair to look at in 1992, this would be bigger than pretty much everything. Let's look at broadcast television ratings in 1992 to see if we can get a sense of where what happened last week sits in terms of American viewership. So what was the number one television show? In 1992, I'm Mike Wallace. I'm Willie Safer. I'm Ed Bradley. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. Those stories and Andy Rooney tonight on 60 Minutes. Yes, 60 Minutes took that top spot because it was an election year and the coronation of the Clintons. The incumbent president was shuffled out, the end of Reaganism, a lot of narratives wrapping up. 60 Minutes averaged 20.3 million viewers. At two was Roseanne with 19.2. Home Improvement came in at 18 million. Mm -hmm. And we have to move down the list of the top 20 to get close to what viewership we saw last week. In fact, it brings us down to the 20th. Highest rated show of 1992. And that is Hearts of Fire, which averaged 13.3 million viewers. So a rounding error away from where we landed with Fox News. Hearts of Fire was a political sitcom featuring a cross the aisle couple. One was a Republican, one was a Democrat. I'm assuming by this time frame that that was loosely based on James Carville and Mary Matlin, who were in that same kind of relationship and very popular at the time. Despite averaging that audience, by the way, 13.3 million, something that people would kill for. I mean, Yellowstone is an out of the box, amazing hit, and that tops out at eight. So ratings ain't what they used to be. But Hearts of Fire was retooled, not once, but twice. In the second season, they moved the couple out of D.C. and had them run a small paper in the South. That cast added Billy Bob Thornton, 
1994, in their third and final season, desperate to pop a rating, the show did a stunt casting episode with Rush Limbaugh. Now try this. You got a spelling bee. You got Senators Packwood and Kennedy and Dan Quayle. Who wins? No, no, Quayle, because he's the only one that knows that harass is one word. <laughs> right. Bye. Yes. Before ESPN, Rush Limbaugh making his network television acting debut. The show was canceled that season. So here's the question. Is 12.8 million a hit? According to the man who was not on stage, Donald Trump, the answer is no. It was about half of what he did in his debut, and Trump did a little show of his own, Tucker on X, which I posited on that microblogging platform, sounds like a direct-to-video spinoff of the old-school franchise. But that interview, as we speak right now into this microphone, is at 262 million views. Now, what counts as a view on X? Well, <laughs> you know, that's something that, that changes constantly. It is an autoplay video on that website, which means that if you are scrolling by it for any period of time, it likely counts as a view. Uh, look, measuring any kind of viewership is going to be challenging. That's why we had to do some research and say, okay, if you look back in time to when viewership on television was about what it was in 92, then you know this is a, a number that we can compare it to. And if you can say that the top of the charts for television in general was on broadcast television, 20 million viewers, which again, it, it shows you that that first Trump debate was massive. Then 12.8, I think is impressive. That's good. You'd rather have that than not. You'd rather have the number one non-sports program on cable than not have it. Would it have been bigger with Trump? Absolutely. So, if we know that the viewership is something that should be enough to register on the scale, then the big question and what we will continue to watch throughout this week is, did it move the needle in the polls? Well, the day before the debate, according to Real Clear Politics, Donald Trump averaged 55 DeSantis was at 14.3, Ramaswamy at 7, Pence at 4, Haley at 3, and so on. So what are they at right now on Wednesday afternoon? Donald Trump has sank ever so slightly to 53%. DeSantis has slipped a little bit to 13%. Ramaswamy still at 7, Pence is at four, Haley's at four, Chrissy's at two. So not a ton of movement. There are some outlier polls that show 
more dramatic effects. One that uh, hit today shows Nikki Haley being the big winner of momentum. We have an internal poll from Ron DeSantis in Iowa that shows him doing much better in that state. And obviously the debates and the actual contests are the only things that are really standing in the way here. But by and large, this feels pretty static. Although again, it's hard to separate what happened at the debates from what happened the day after, which was Donald Trump's indictment in Georgia. It was not only a made-for-television spectacle, but also delivered something that has yet to happen in the three previous indictments, a mugshot. We're going to talk about all that right after. What's that? Has the first fallen? Do we have the first appearance by the campaign undertaker? Oh, yes! Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, will no longer be seeking the office of the presidency of the United States of America. He posts the following on his X. Running for president of the United States has been one of the greatest honors of my life. This country has given so much to my family and me. The prospect of giving back at the highest levels of public service is a motivator, if not a calling. Throughout this process, I have met so many freedom-loving Americans who care deeply about our nation, her people, and its future. It was a privilege to come so close to appearing on the stage with other candidates at last week's first debate. He then goes on to say, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president, my commitment to make this a better nation for every American remains. Suarez was looking to run in a lane that I don't think really existed. He is Florida, but not as Florida as Ron DeSantis. He is young, but not as telegenic or as good of a talker as Vivek Ramaswamy. And look, you know, Miami is kind of a mess, <laughs> even if you love Florida. And I know a lot of people that really love Florida, but nobody would look at Miami and say, yes, please export that government to the rest of the country. Still. I want to look at this as something that is very, very, very telling because we now have our first also ran that dropped out and you don't drop out unless you run out of money, which means you would look at some of these other candidates, Bill Hurd, Harry Johnson, Guys that did not make the debate stage and were very, very mad about it. And then you got to worry about the people that were on the wingtips of that debate stage. Doug Burgum, Asa Hutchinson. These are the guys you got to watch. Now, Suarez is 
still the mayor of Miami, so he's got stuff to do. We're going to get to the natural disaster that's going to hit Florida. That will likely not impact his area, but still something to uh, keep an eye on. Perry Johnson and Will Hurd have nothing else to do. They can probably sit on their butt and quote unquote run for president on social media. Same thing to Larry Elder. But there we go. The first one, the first one to get out there. If I were to eulogize the campaign of Mayor Francis Suarez, I would say that what he lacked in any interest from the Republican primary voter base, he made up for in gratuitous shots of his legs in his debate announce or sorry, his campaign announcement video. Yes, Mayor Suarez is a runner and he was running. So he's running for office. Get it? But boy, God, did they focus on those powerful calves <laughs> and awe-inspiring shins. Never has one man's legs been so prominently featured in a run for the highest office in the land. And while his dreams for the Oval Office have fallen, he knows that he's got some sturdy gams that can keep him walking one foot at a time to whatever destiny brings him. Salute to you, Francis Suarez. You are officially the first victim of the campaign undertaker for 2024. And now your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Head on over to that website if you'd like to support this show. And when we got people dropping out, we got news that's popping. Look, you're going to want to be on the $3 tier. That's when you get four podcasts each and every week. If you want to know what I'm thinking about this kind of stuff, you got to get on the Patreon. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. But first, your update. The federal judge overseeing former President Donald J. Trump's prosecution on charges of conspiring to overturn the 2020 election set a trial date on Monday for early March. So this is the January 6th federal trial. It lays out a schedule that was close to the government's initial request for January and rebuffed Mr. Trump's extraordinary proposal to push off the proceeding until after the 2024 election. Decision by the judge issued at a contentious hearing in federal district court will start the trial on March 4th. And it potentially brings it into conflict with two other trials that Trump is facing that month. Reminder, March 5th, my birthday, one day after this trial is supposed to begin, is Super Tuesday. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has been diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a blood cancer. He announced that on Tuesday. Scalise, 57, who, by the way, was shot. <laughs> Let's remember that Steve Scalise got shot 
by a deranged gunman for political reasons. Man came close to being assassinated. The technical term for assassination being a political motivated murder. But he survived that and now he has cancer to deal with. He has begun treatment and does plan to return to Washington, D.C. when Congress begins again in the middle of the month. Uh, that is the middle of September. Quote, after a few days of not feeling myself this past week, I did some blood test work done and the results uncovered multiple irregularities. And after undergoing additional tests, I've been diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a very treatable blood cancer. Continued. I have begun treatment, which will continue for the next several months. I expect to work through this period and intend to return to Washington, continuing my work as majority leader and serving the people of Louisiana's first congressional district. Steve Scalise was uh, very instrumental in getting Kevin McCarthy his speakership. He was somebody that was looked at as a possible speaker should the Freedom Caucus have had their way and derailed McCarthy's push. But he's majority leader. And the man's got bad luck. Get shot and get cancer? Holy smokes. Nobody bet the same lottery numbers as Steve Scalise, is all I'm saying. Although we, you know, get better. I know we're making jokes here, but all thoughts to Scalise. Getting a diagnosis for blood cancer is never good. Right? So there we go. Jokes aside, get well soon, uh, Representative Scalise. Florida looks to have a hurricane on the way. I actually had dinner with an old high school friend of mine who lives in the uh, Tampa area. He uh, has a lovely wife and two adorable kids. And uh, that wife, lovely though she is, is a little annoyed because my friend, her husband, is out working in Texas and now all of the airports have been shut down, so we will likely not be able to get back home in time for Hurricane Adalia, which, as I am talking to you, has strengthened to a Category 1 hurricane and is barreling toward Florida's Gulf Coast. It is expected to possibly become as intense as a Category 3 hurricane before making landfall on Wednesday morning. So this will likely have already made landfall at the time that you listen to this. It will mark the United States' first major hurricane of the season, which is a little late for hurricane season to get started. We often have a hurricane that hits before this, but this is usually around the time that the, the most intense hurricanes wind up hitting. Of course, hurricane warnings and watches are in effect while evacuation orders are being issued for more than 20 counties along the state's Gulf Coast. But what's dangerous about this storm is that it's going to come in a little bit north of Tampa. And that's a region of Florida that hasn't really been hit a lot. So I want to put the word out if anybody here, I mean, obviously by the time you listen to it, um, this will probably be already hitting it. Maybe I'll get this out a little early, but be safe. Do not play around with this. This is going to strengthen up to a Category 3. That is something that will that will do some damage. And 
Be safe. You guys know I always look out for Florida hurricanes. Take politics seriously is where you need to go if you want more of this kind of political coverage. Bonus podcast on Monday. Bonus podcast on Thursday. Anything that happens between our two main shows, that's when you need it. Head on over there right now. Take politics seriously. Dot com. I was in a group chat the other day, and it was uh, there's a lot of international people in it, so they were asking about the election and whether or not Donald Trump now having been indicted in Georgia, the fourth such indictment, stood any chance to regain his job as president of the United States. And there's really, really smart and capable people in this group chat. People for whom politics has been their life. I would never doubt their qualifications or their understanding of the world of presidential politics over my own. Now, I got opinions, <laughs> opinions that did not necessarily jibe with the way that they added up the facts, which was to say that Donald Trump has very, very little chance of being reelected president. And that while the Republican electorate seems to be responding in a rally around the flag moment for him, independence, specifically in the key states that sank him in 2020, would do so Yet again, he has only gotten less popular with the people that he needed to grow more popular with. And I, I can't argue with that. I, I don't think that people in the suburbs necessarily like Trump anymore. I think they probably find him to be less sympathetic. Everything they didn't like about him, they probably like less. And this isn't that group chat. This is just me and you. So if you share that opinion or you are looking for my opinion on that question, I just want to point out a few things. And I don't know that they're determinative, but I do know that they are real. Because I want to be done with the idea that these indictments have been politically damaging for Trump, at least in our current moment. They have yet to be anything but rocket fuel for him in the primary polls, and he has clearly separated himself. And even if he skipped the next two debates, just like he skipped the one last week, I think, you know, while his poll numbers would probably soften a little bit, he'd still be up by double digits, if not 20 points nationally and in some of the early battleground states. He's the most famous person in the race. He's done the job before. And now he's got iconography to go along with the central thesis, the most compelling central thesis of his claim, which is that he is being unjustly prosecuted by Joe Biden. That's what that mugshot is. There's a reason why he's selling it 
on cups and t-shirts and everything else. It's because what is supposed to be a mark of shame for him, he's recycling in that Yankee doodle dandy way to be a mark of pride, a mark of strength. So let's understand what mowing through this primary field means for Donald Trump. It means he will have dispatched a sitting senator, the most popular Republican governor in the country, his former vice president, the female Republican who polls best with independence, his fiercest critic within his own party, who was also a popular governor at one time, and Asia Hutchinson, amongst others. Which is to say that should this continue, by the end of it, Donald Trump will be red hot with his base. Because I believe all but Hutchinson and Christie will bend the knee. I believe they will all be surrogates. They will all be singing the song of Donald Trump by the end of it. Trump will have his narrative that he is being unfairly prosecuted. And that narrative will be reinforced when he has not one, not two, not three, but four simultaneous O.J. Simpson level trials going on. Try to get a political message that is not Donald Trump related amidst that. And it's fine if every single time he shows up in court is looked at as a negative. But what if? It makes him sympathetic. What if the twists and turns of the trial or the conduct of the prosecutors become something that the public is less connected to? That means that Donald Trump would become more popular and you would have no other way to change the narrative in a general election. Now, take this for what it is, but polling released this week about Trump nostalgia, how you remember your approval of Donald Trump being president is not only higher than when he was president, but it is currently eclipsing Biden's approval rating. And by the way, this is when Joe Biden is on the road crowing about how good the economy is. This is from Schoen Cooperman. The question being, when he was in office, did you approve or disapprove of the job that Trump did as president? 52% approve, 44% disapprove. In that same poll, Joe Biden's approval rating is 44% approve, 54% disapprove. That means he's underwater by 10. Trump is above water by 8. That same poll has Donald Trump winning in a head-to-head, mano-a-mano Contest, 44 to 45. And let's say that that is off by 5%. But then we also adjust for the fact that we have no idea where the economy is going to be. Even if we talk about a soft landing for the economy, that still means that we will have dealt with another year's worth of inflation and we'll see less jobs. That's not so good, Al. And Another reminder that this isn't going to be a one-on-one race. Cornell West is running for president. And Cornell West is the most charismatic, 
and media adept Green Party candidate in my lifetime. And I'm including Ralph Nader because Cornell West is great on television in a way that Ralph Nader simply isn't. Nader certainly had a higher profile. He was somebody that was well known in politics by the time that he ran in 2000 and in the, the, the shots before. But Cornell West is somebody that will be a sought after guest. He'll be sought after to justify why he's running. And he'll be great because he's always great on TV. He'll be great talking about Brother Trump and Brother Biden. And that's before we get to what is likely to be a heavily funded no labels ticket. That's probably going to have somebody from the Democratic Party that will be taking shots at Joe Biden being too extreme. Maybe somebody named Joe Manchin. Of course, there'll be somebody talking crap about Trump, but, you know, who doesn't talk crap about Trump? But let's just focus on Cornell West. These are two Emerson polls that have come out recently. They are polling for a three-way race. In the one taken in August 16th through 17th, with 1,000 registered voters, 3% margin of error. They have West polling at 5, Biden polling at 41, and Trump polling at 42. That is a statistical dead heat. They then took a poll August 25th and 26th. That is after the debate. That is after Donald Trump was had surrendered to Fannie Willis in Fulton County. West four, Biden 39, Trump 44. That's above the margin of error. That's Joe Biden losing two points. That is Donald Trump gaining two points. By the way, Biden's not getting any younger. And he's about to face a grueling campaign where they will be under pressure, the Biden reelection. They'll be under pressure to put him in front of microphones more than he ever has in his life. He's never going to face as much request for press comment than he will during this run because he didn't have to do it as much as he would have otherwise in 2020. He's never had to do it to get reelected to the Senate. He will never have uh, have had to do it to get reelected as vice president or elected as vice president. And he didn't have to do it to be elected as president. This is going to be it. And according to an APNORC poll. Asking the question, when words come to your mind, when you think of Joe Biden or Donald Trump, we're going to go to Joe Biden first. Twenty six percent said the following. Old, outdated, aging, and elderly. And a majority of that also came from his own party, people who self-identified as Democrat. That's 26% of all respondents. 15% of all respondents said slow, confused, and bumbling. As for Donald Trump, the number one thing that everybody could agree on was corrupt, criminal, and crooked. That's at 15%. The same that said slow, confused, and bumbling. And nowhere near 
Joe Biden being singled out for old, outdated, aging, and elderly. Look, I'm not here to tell you that Donald Trump is a force to be reckoned with. All the same fundamentals that were there in 2020, that were there in 2022, that led to Democratic overperformances are still there. They're two years older, but they're still there. This is going to be close. It always is. I will bet on the incumbent. I always do. But if you believe that what has happened over the last five months makes Donald Trump weaker in the primary or the general, well, the more I see, the less I agree with you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to send me an email, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit us up on X. PX3 tweets for the show. Justin R. Young for me. Find me on Twitch. Live streaming. PX3 Live. Dot com. Of course, you can always support us. PayPal.me slash PayJury. Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Cash app is PX3Cash. Those are three ways that you can just support the show. If you don't want to sign up for the Patreon and you just got a little bit of that cash sitting in any of those apps and you're just like, hey, you want to know what? Take a dollar. Take a dollar. Look at me there upstage. Slow. Shaking it. Just toss a buck. Toss a buck. It's your cultural, artistic right. If you'd like to send me anything in the mail, it is Post Office Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. With all that being said, the best bang for your buck is going to be heading over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Including, and by the way, before we read this, if you're in this, if you if you are in the Titanic $10 tier, Head to your email or Patreon. I have sent you guys a new link. So this will likely be the last time that we hear all of these names. Actually, no, we'll probably hear it on, on Friday. And then next week we will have all the names changed. But till then, Jason, Edwin, C. Garcia, Matthew T., Andres, Matt, John Gross, El Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Unsafe DB Levels, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, Kneemeister, DP for Bongo, Catherine Todd, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslani, and Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. 
Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, if you want your name, read at the end of this program, well, only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $10 level. We'll be back on Friday, Thursday, if you are a $3 and up patron. Until then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.